A couple years ago, Sarah and I were wanting to put a little small garden in our patio. We mostly wanted to do cucumbers and tomatoes. So we got some improvised planter boxes, we got our soil, we got our plants, and we had some success with them growing and, and getting bigger, and we were anticipating getting fruit from them, but we ran into a bit of a snag, a problem early on, where some bugs started to eat our young plants. No doubt you've experienced the same thing or something similar. And so we knew we had a problem, we knew we had an invasion of these little critters, and we wanted to know what should we do now? What do we do now? What do we do next? Well, our next step was to go to the place where we had bought the stuff. You might recall Osh, the place that no longer is open here in Modesto, like other businesses, uh, unfortunately. So we go to Osh, I think it's Orchard Supply Hardware or, or something like that. We went to Osh and we went to the aisle where they have all the products pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, you decide which one you want. And we couldn't decide because we didn't know which is best, right? Fortunately, there was a guy with a vest on. He looked official. So we went up to him and said, hey, we're having this problem with our tomatoes. And we described it to him. And it turns out he was exactly the guy we needed to talk to. And maybe if you used to shop there, you might recall this guy because he had his own garden and he had problems, but he knew how to fix those problems. And he told us exactly what we needed to do to make things right. We followed his advice and wouldn't you know it, things got better. It's not enough simply to know that there's a problem. We need to also know what to do next and make sure we do it. We need to not only know what's next, not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word also. And so for the last two weeks, we've been talking about Jude, going through the gospel of Jude, this letter of the older half-brother of Jesus. And he's identified some critical problems in the church, false teachers moving in, false teachers saying, because of God's grace, you can sin like the devil and it doesn't make any difference. False teachers saying, hey, the body is bad, the spirit is good, but it doesn't matter what you do in your body. These false teachers peddling these false teachings and probably thinking that they're doing something good, but really they were sowing seeds that would lead to destruction. And so for the last two weeks, we've seen this very clearly. And now in the uh, latter portion of today's passage, as we finish off the Gospel of Jude, we're going to see that Jude turns his attention towards what do we do now? Now that we know these false teachers are here, what are we going to do about it? And you and I will have an opportunity, even though we don't live 2,000 years ago, but we live today and there are similar problems today, you and I are going to have an opportunity to apply in our own hearts the counsel that Jude gave 2,000 years ago. So open up your Bibles, turn there in your smartphones, in your tablets, open up to Jude, and as we discussed previously, there's only one chapter, so 
We're just going to Jude verse 16 as we begin today. And we'll, we'll continue a little bit longer talking about the bad things of these false teachers, these, these bad apples in the early Christian church. And then we'll get to the solution. What do we do about it? But we'll find here, Jude verse 16, that uh, these people were not only bad, they also were annoying. It says there in verse 16, I'm reading from the New King James Version today, these are grumblers. Now, what's a grumbler? Grumbler is somebody who complains a lot, makes those little aside comments. The Greek word there is actually an example of onomatopoeia, when a word is something that matches what it sounds like what it means. Uh, words like bang or boom are onomatopoeia examples. But in Greek, the word for grumblers is gongutso. In fact, I just invite you at home, say the word gongutso, and say it like five times. Gongutso, 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 gongutso. It sounds like someone just grumbling. That's what they were experiencing. People coming into the church, and you can imagine that's creating a toxic situation in the early Christian church. Not only were they grumbling, but they were complaining. They were complainers, and the Greek there is mems, memsimoiros. And the memsimoiros was actually a classical figure in Greek literature. Um, 300 years before Christ, there was a student of Aristotle. His name was Theophrastus, and he wrote about the memsimoiros. He wrote about it. Let me just read you a few of his words. He said, this is, this is describing the memsimoiros, this complainer. He is displeased with Zeus, not because he sends no rain, but because he has been so long about sending it. When he finds a purse in the street, it is, ah, but I never found a treasure. When they bring him good news that a son is born to him, it is, if you add to me that I lost half my fortune, then you'll speak truth. So, he writes uh, about this memsimoiros, this person who always finds a way to turn something good into something bad, always finds faults and complains with things. Maybe you're thinking about some memsimoirases in your life. Maybe you're complaining about them right now, and maybe the joke's on you because you've embraced the spirit of complaining as well. So that was entering into the church, grumbling complaining, walking according to their own lusts. Uh, the lust here refers to their desires. They're just living to please only themselves. Now, don't get me wrong. In the Christian life, God wants us to experience great joy and great pleasure. But people who are only trying to please themselves are selfish people. There are higher desires in life, and there's great joy from doing good to please others. But these guys are doing whatever they can to just please themselves. And they mouth great swelling words. Comes back to words. We find that these false teachers and bad apples in the early Christian church, uh, words are a, a key theme. They're grumbling, 
They're using their words to grumble. They're using their words to complain. And now they're boasting their mouth with, mouth with great swelling words. They're prideful. They're arrogant. They're bragging about what they can do. In fact, as we think about uh, from a prophetic standpoint, this reminds me of the passage in Daniel chapter 7 about the little horn power, this antichrist power that's also spoken about in Revelation 13, speaking great blasphemies against God. The spirit of Antichrist, this, this spirit of self-exaltation, one of these characteristics was also present in the early Christian church, boasting about what they can do. But then notice in the last part of verse 16, what else are they using their words for? They're using their words to flatter people to gain advantage. So they're bragging about what they can do, but then they're also kissing up to people so that they can try and work their way up into a higher position. But then verse 17, but you, beloved, those who are loved by God, I want you to remember something. Remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this was not a surprise to the apostles. The entrance of these false teachers was not a surprise to Jesus. They spoke about it. They warned about it. And there's some debate about which words are being referred to here. Remember, we talked on the first week of this series that 2 Peter and Jude share a lot of common um, traits. A lot of the language, a lot of the ideas, a lot of the words are the same. And so some say that maybe Jude was written after 2 Peter, and he's pointing back to 2 Peter 3, verse 3, for example. Um, other people think Jude was written before 2 Peter, uh, and perhaps both of their epistles are, are referring to some prior um, oral tradition of the apostles or some other prophecy that's unknown to us today. Or perhaps he's speaking just more generally um, on things like 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. But in either case, this was not a surprise to God, nor was it a surprise to the apostles. And in love, God wanted people to know in advance, this is what you can expect. There are going to be problems. Verse 18, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Mockers, people making fun of the faith, doubting, skeptical of what had been handed down to them. Verse 19, these are sensual persons, or another word for sensual here, uh, based on the Greek, would be worldly. People just without the Spirit of God, doing their thing. And what are they doing? They're causing divisions, not having the Holy Spirit. You know, it's possible to disagree with someone and not to be a divider in the church. It's possible to see things totally differently. It's possible to see the, the crisis that we're dealing with right now from a totally different perspective and not cause division in the church. It's possible to have different political perspectives and leanings and not cause division. It's possible to disagree theologically and not cause divisions. So why are these guys causing division? Because they don't have the Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that brought together the early Christian church when, when you took the disciples that were often arguing and debating about who's the greatest and it caused them to work together 
on one mission with one goal for one purpose, for one Lord. It's the same Holy Spirit that caused Peter and Paul that had a sharp disagreement to be reconciled and be united together. There are differences in the church today, but differences don't mean division. If we have the Holy Spirit and the love of God in us, we can agree to disagree, and we can move forward in our mission. That's what we need to do. But to do that, we have to have the Spirit. We have to have the Holy Spirit. And how do we know if we have the Holy Spirit? Well, some churches would say that you only know you have the Holy Spirit if you speak in tongues. And by that, they mean um, senseless babblings that nobody can understand, not even themselves. Uh, that's not a sign of the Holy Spirit. That's a sign of confusion. The original gift of tongues was given to help us uh, spread the gospel to languages that we didn't yet know, as evidenced in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Signs that we have the Holy Spirit is that we have the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Things like love, joy, peace, patience. What comes next? Say it at home. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, maybe you learned it in a different translation, and that's okay. Maybe you learned it with long-suffering instead of patience. But the more we have those traits in our life, the more evidence it is that the Holy Spirit is in our life. And if we're lacking in the love department, it's not because we need to grit our teeth and try to be more loving it's because we need to have more of the Holy Spirit. And the reason we don't have the Holy Spirit is generally because we're not open to receiving the Holy Spirit. So he identifies the problem. We've talked about the problem over the last couple of weeks. Saying, these false teachers are saying that you can live however you want and it doesn't make a difference. These people are infesting the church with their complaints, with their grumbling, with their boasting, with their flattery, with their godless lifestyle, even though they profess uh, to be followers of Christ. But what do we do? Jude, what do we do now? We know the problem. What do we do about the problem? And he gets to the solution, starting in verse 20. But you, beloved... You, the ones who are loved by God, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. He says, number one, you've got to start building yourselves up in the faith. This holy faith handed down to us by the apostles from Jesus, from God. Build yourself up. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, if you're going to build a building... What do you need to have? You need to first have a foundation. What's the foundation of our Christian experience, of Christianity? It's none other than Jesus. Jesus himself called himself the chief cornerstone. So Christ has to be the foundation of our life. And it's interesting. Jude's counsel, number one, is not attack and forcibly remove these false teachers. 
Now, there's a time and a place for those kinds of things, but, but Jude's general audience were the general church members. That wasn't their issue to deal with. Their problem to focus on was themselves. I don't know about you, but I can't solve COVID. I can't solve the, uh, the many other issues in our world, but I can start in my own life, and, and I can do my best to try and live healthy, try to build up my health to... Hopefully I don't catch it, and if I do catch it, hopefully it won't affect me um, with um, severe consequences. So we can work on ourselves, and that's the start uh, of any change. Change, if you want the church to get better, if you want there to be less complainers in the church, then stop complaining. If you want the church to be more loving, well then start being more loving. If they want the church to be more warm and accepting, then you got to be more warm and accepting. So Jude says, hey, start with yourself. Building yourselves up on the most holy faith. And I'm just going to give you three simple ways to build a better foundation for your spiritual life. we got to do three things every day. And when we do these three things, it's going to help us build up our spiritual lives. Number one, Every day, reach up. Every day, reach up to God. Reach up to God. Say, God, I need you in my life. God, I can't live this day without you. I need you, God. Spend time praying. Spend time reading in his word. Reaching up to God throughout the day, but especially as we start our day. Number two, reach out or reach across, rather. Reach across to other people in this circle of fellowship, in this Christian journey. We can't live this Christian life on our own. We never were intended to live it on our own. And while we can't be here in church right now, um, you have the numbers of people in the church, hopefully. And if you don't, call us and we'll give you phone numbers so you can get connected. Join our, our weekly Zoom Bible study on Sabbath mornings, 9.30 to 10.30. Join our weekly prayer meeting, uh, 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. Information on our website. You can call our office if, if you need more information. Find ways to reach across to other believers, to text them, to email them, to call them, uh, to do a socially distanced visit um, with appropriate precautions. We need each other to have a solid foundation in our Christian experience. You can't just do Christianity all on your own. You need the community also. And particularly in this time, find ways to reach out, to reach across to other people. Number one, we reach up to God every day. Number two, we reach across to other believers to encourage them and to be encouraged ourselves and number three, reach out. Reach out to others who are not a part of this Christian journey. Find ways to help share what you're learning with them. I found that the times I'm praying most and studying most are often the times when I'm reaching out the most. And if you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to build yourself up on this foundation, the foundation of Jesus, you need to reach up to God. Reach across to other fellow believers for support and encouragement and reach out to share your faith in big ways or small ways with others. 
So Jude says, you got to start with yourself. Build yourself up on the most holy faith. And then he goes on to share some of the things I just mentioned. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Praying in the Holy Spirit? It means, well, number one, we have to have the Holy Spirit to be praying in the Holy Spirit. But when we pray in the Holy Spirit, we are praying in accordance with the will of the Holy Spirit. We are allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and direct our prayers. You know, Paul says in Romans 8 that that the Holy Spirit helps our our prayers because we don't even know what to pray or how to pray sometimes. And our prayers come from sinful lips, but the Holy Spirit helps our prayers and enables them to have power and meaning. And so we open our lives up to let the Holy Spirit in, to pray in the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Living each day, wanting to enjoy being loved by God. A lot of that is simply an awareness that God loves you. And when you're going through your day and you are thinking to yourself, man, isn't it great how much God loves me? When you're consciously thinking about that, it's a whole lot harder to fall back into the sinful tendencies we've had. When you're thinking, wow, God gave everything for me. He loves me so much. You realize, man, I can't just slap him in the face by returning to this sin. Keep yourself in the love of God. When we went through the first epistle of John, he talks about abiding in God's love. Staying in that relationship. Thinking about God throughout your day. Loving being loved by God. Building. Praying. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. And then it says, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Looking for that mercy that we are given. And ultimately, we're looking for the return of Jesus to this world. That hope that keeps driving us forward until the day when Jesus returns for us. Building, praying, keeping, expecting. And then in the next verse, we get one more participle, one more of these verbs with the I-N-G attached onto it. Saving. Look at it there. Verse 22. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. The, The Greek here is a little complex to understand, but the basic idea is there were some believers who were being drawn into these false teachings. And Jude says, have compassion on them. Have compassion. Make a distinction between those who are just the false teachers and those who are being swayed by them. And save them with fear. Help bring them out of these false understandings, these distortions of the gospel. Others are, they're, they're just really close to total destruction. So he says, save them with fear. Pull them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Save them, pull them out, rescue them from these false ways of living. Uh, and by doing so, it's like 
You're snatching something valuable that had fallen into the fire. But at the same time, recognize that that the the garment defiled by flesh, that's the, the sinful beliefs and practices and attitudes. Don't embrace that even as you are trying to save and rescue these people. I remember one summer, uh, I worked in Bakersfield for part of the summer doing uh, door-to-door knocking, um, selling Christian books, offering them on a donation basis. <laughs> was technically the line. But uh, our, our T-shirt was, Beat the Heat. And then it had a quote from Jude 23. It said, it's pulling them out of the fire or something. Uh, it felt like we were working in a fire. But when we were going door-to-door, we were looking for people who... <laughs> who didn't know about the love and mercy and, and truth of Jesus, and we were trying to share it with them, realizing as we do so, we are helping snatch them out of the fire. Destruction is in the future for all who continue to embrace sin. Uh, eternal death and separation from God. And as we engage in this work, we are snatching them out of the fire, rescuing them. And the sad reality is many of our friends and family members are headed for destruction and they don't realize it. They don't even know the danger that they're in. Jude says, what I want you to do in response to these false teachers, build yourselves up. How do we do that? Well, we we reach up to God every day. We reach across to fellow believers. We reach out. We pray in the Holy Spirit. We keep ourselves in the love of God. We expect things from the mercy of Jesus and we save people by snatching them out of the fire. We help um, convince and bring people back to an understanding of the gospel and of Jesus. And then we get to the most glorious conclusion. As we wrap up this short letter of Jude, the older half-brother of Jesus. This doxology, and he says this, Now unto him, this is capital H, unto Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Earlier, it had said, we're to keep ourselves in the love of God, but we're reminded here that Jesus is able to keep us as long as we're willing to be kept by him. Mountaineers, often when they're going across a glacier or um, climbing a mountain, they often rope up for safety in case one of their party slips into a hidden crevasse or in case one of their members slips while they're climbing. Ideally, the other person can catch them and save them from doom. And often that's how it works, but sometimes when you're roped up, there's a hazard because you both could fall off and go to your death. But as I read the teachings of Scripture, I realize if I rope myself up to Jesus, Jesus never slipped. Jesus never will slip. He never loses his footing, nor did he ever lose his footing. And so when I unite myself to Jesus and stick with him, if I fall, I'm not going anywhere because he cannot be moved. And so Jude 
speaking about his younger half-brother, he says, now to him who's able to keep you from falling, the one who, when you connect yourself with him, he can support you, he can keep you. Not only that, but he can present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You and I both can think back in our minds. We can remember the bad things that we've done. Some of you are trying to forget those bad things. But the beauty of the gospel is that when we give ourselves to Christ, when we are cleansed by his blood, we can stand faultless before God. And because of that, we have exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. I was reading a commentary this week, a little book written by Charles Erdman. He worked at uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. And I love how he concluded his, his whole commentary on this book and, and a couple other epistles in it. He writes about this, these last two verses of Jude, and he says this, No more inspiring ascription of praise can be found in the general epistles, nor one with which these epistles more fittingly may conclude, though it has, uh, the thought has been led through dark scenes of perplexity and suffering from apostasy and doom. But now the clouds break away and the eyes gaze in rapture on the loving face of our God, on the glory of a coming Christ. The readers have been told to keep themselves in the love of God, but now they're assured that God will keep them in spite of pitfalls and snares, he is able to guard you from stumbling, regardless of moral perils and sorrows, and he will set you before the presence of his glory at the appearance of Christ without blemish and in exultant joy to this one God and Savior, as there has ever been so many more, many there be now and forever, glory, majesty, dominion, and power through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Jude concludes his glorious letter. His letter that had some dark and troubling passages, but he concludes it by remembering, by reminding us, causing us to remember just how good our God is. In spite of these false teachers, God can keep us from slipping into apostasy. In spite of our sinful tendencies, God can help keep us on his path. Because of Jesus, we can stand before him with exceeding joy, faultless before the presence of his glory. Before we close out with prayer today, I want to invite you to listen to a song that I found that covers these, these last two verses. It's a scripture song. And it was a cover done by Dan Yoon and some of his friends on YouTube. Uh, listen and be blessed by the words of the scriptures put to song.
Thanks to Dan Yoon and his friends on YouTube for that. I want to be kept by God. How about you? Can't make it on my own. I want to be roped up to Jesus, connected, linked with him. So when I need his strength, which is all the time, he's there. And when I feel my strength failing, he gives me strength. Is that your desire? I invite you just to bow your heads with me, wherever you're at. Let's ask God to do this in our lives. Loving Heavenly Father, there are problems in our world, problems in our church, problems in our heart. But today, we want to start by addressing what's in our heart. and We recognize we need new hearts every single day. <clears throat> we need your Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to give us a desire to follow you. And Jesus, we want you to keep us from falling, from stumbling. When we fall down, we want you to help pick us back up again. And we're so grateful that your blood cleanses and covers us so that we can stand before you faultless before your glory. We look forward to seeing you one day face to face. And until that day, Lord, Keep us day by day, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a happy Sabbath, friends. God bless you. Take some time today to just say, God, who can I encourage today? And then spend some time making some phone calls, um, texting, reaching across to encourage the other believers as we continue to reach up and reach out. God bless. We'll see you next week.